and welcome to the Jordan and Jason Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Manuel. And I am Jordan. Hello, Jordan. Welcome to this brand new podcast that we're starting at episode 263. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I know it's a weird number to start off at, but I think it really fits, you know? <laughs> I think it does as well. For those listening that have no idea what we're talking about, that means you missed last week's podcast when we discussed that this is now Jordan's third week in a row co-hosting with me and once again thank you so much Jordan uh Sam is off uh busy I think he's actually on vacation right now yeah uh, I think he's actually in Alberta right now yeah. I think he's up with uh Emma's family I think so I think, I think that's true so he's a busy little bee and I am way too self-indulgent to pa- pass up doing a podcast so I reached out uh, to the PFGs, and yet again, Jordan steps up to the plate and was happy to come on and do a, an episode with me, and I greatly appreciate it. And we realized that this was going to be the third week in a row that she is co-hosted with me, so I think that uh, entitles her to have her name in the title <laughs> of the podcast and to kick Sam to the fucking curb. <laughs> now, and I'm very honored to yes. have this title for a week. Yeah. It's, I, uh, I'm very excited. We thought the Jordan and Manny movie podcast doesn't quite roll off the tongue as well. But for those that don't know me, Jason is also one of my legal names. And so the Jordan and Jason movie podcast, oh, that is just alliteration heaven, my friends. <laughs> it, threw, it threw me off when you said that. Every time you say that your name, it just throws me off. Jason does not roll off the tongue like Manny Manuel does. I know. I know. It's so funny. It's it's super weird because I actually can't think of very many people that call me Jason. Like, even though, like, my mom and my sisters <clears throat> don't call me Manny, but they call me Jay. Mm. So I'm very rarely called Jason. And so I'm having that, that name is starting to distance itself further and further from my identity. Uh, <laughs> and it's fun. It's fun. I, 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 like, I like having this name that is somehow not really me, but is me. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> this new podcast is off to a great start. Uh, we have thank yous to give out. Uh, thank yous to the last episode of this podcast while this is the first episode of this one. Uh, if that doesn't make Ignore any sense, the semantics, you know? Don't doesn't worry matter. about it. But yeah. thank you, Jordan. Uh, for last week for coming on for Postcards from the Edge. We had a really good time uh, reviewing that movie. Yeah, we did. That was a really, really great movie, really fun one. If anyone hasn't had the chance to watch it, you should absolutely go do that, and then you should listen to the podcast, obviously. Agreed. Uh, Okay, let's get into what we've been watching. Jordan, what have you been watching since we spoke last? Yeah, so I've got a few things under my belt here. Um. I'm going to start with a movie that you were very excited that I watched. Ooh. Um, so that was Miller's Crossing. Oh, shit. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, man. So this is a, well, it's kind of a Coen Brothers movie. They wrote it together, but I think only Ethan is credited as the director, right? No, no. They both, they both directed it, but this was before the DGA allowed people to co-direct films. So they're both directors. That's why if you actually look at the credits, one of them is credited as director and the other is a producer. Producer. And that's, that makes it's sense. only because of the DGA and the PGA that they had to do it that way. Oh, one, interesting. Once they started making more films, um, they started lobbying the Directors Guild to accept them as being co-directors, and that's what happened. 
Fair enough. Yes. So this was a Coen Brothers movie that I was not very familiar with. I hadn't heard much about. Um, it's kind of a, it's it's sort of the Coen Brothers take on a gangster movie, um, which was interesting. Um, I'm not typically a big fan of gangster movies. Mm-hmm. I don't find they usually hit, um, they hit me the way that they hit a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, while I think this movie was very well made, very well acted, it had a lot of Coen Brothers charm. It didn't hit me the way I think I wanted it to. That's fair. That's fair. I I enjoyed most of it. I thought it was I thought it was really well done. Um, I had a lot of fun watching. Uh, oh, what's his face? Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, Gabriel Byrne. I'd only ever seen him before in Usual Suspects. I hadn't seen him in. And Hereditary. I don't. Who's he? Was he? He's the dad. Remember. Oh shit. I don't. The, whenever I think of Hereditary, I only think of the mom and the kid. Tony Collette. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got when I think of that movie. I forgot that there was even another man in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed watching him kind of go through all these different, like ups and downs, just trying to like keep the peace and keep him just like chugging through this whole warring family dynamics that were going on between all the different sides. Yep. Um, I really enjoyed watching that happen. Um, I found, I don't know, I just think of parts of it just didn't captivate me the way I wanted them to. Um, and part of that was with, I think, the romance subplot that was in there that just didn't quite, I didn't find I cared for it that much. Mm. I found it to be such a minor part of the film, I didn't yeah. I didn't think about it very much. Um, I loved seeing Steve Buscemi pop up. I thought that was funny. I love me some John Turturro. Uh, he's so much fun in movies. I think he's an absolute blast. Yep. Um, and like I said, I think this movie was really, really well done. And I don't know if I maybe just wasn't in the right, like, mindset to watch it, wasn't the right environment to watch it. It just, something about it just missed me. That's fair. Totally fair. But I still gave it a four because I recognize that it's a really well done movie. Oh, nice. That, yeah. that I didn't expect. I, I had yeah. I had you down as a three the whole way. No, I still gave it a four because it was really well done. Gabriel Byrne and Albert Finney were fantastic in it. Agreed. Um, And I think if I was, to, I do feel like if I was to give it a rewatch uh, on like a different time, I could probably find a bit more enjoyment in it now that I kind of know where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something about the gangster genre, even when it's, you know, coenified, that just didn't quite didn't quite land with me and i was kind of sad because i I knew you were really excited and i know that like all the people that i follow on letterboxd who have watched this movie have given it like raving reviews and i know that it's like probably one of the coen brothers best received films that Mm -hmm. they probably might be the best received films they've done um yeah it's not it just wasn't one that hit with me as much as i really wanted it to it's probably on my lower like if i was to rank the coen brothers movies i think it would sit pretty it would sit low right now how many Coen Brothers films have you seen? Um, a good chunk. Hang on. Like I've seen. Um, I must have seen at least ten to twelve off the top of my head. I don't know that I've seen twelve. So I've seen Fargo, No Country for Old Men, Big Lebowski. Barton Fink, A Serious Man, Inside Lewin Davis, 
burn after reading uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth. That might be my favorite because it's so not Coen Brothers, but it was so good. And te- I te- have... That's technically not a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, is it only one of them? Yes. Ah. Oh, it's only Joel. Fair. Um, and then I've, I have technically seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I'm pretty sure I watched it with Sam, and I'm pretty sure I was just really tired and I fell asleep, so I don't really count it because I have not seen it beginning to end. That's I fair. have seen some of it. Okay, so you actually are missing a lot. You actually are missing quite a few of their films, and, yeah. and you're actually also missing a lot of their very bad films. Well, good. I'm glad <laughs> that if I'm missing their movies, I'm not missing the good ones. <laughs> now, I, I won't reveal which ones are bad because I'll let you discover that on your own so you don't go in with any preconceived notions. Let me let me take a quick peek and see if I can see which ones. Okay. Oh, and I guess uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, but I don't really count that as like one of their movies, even though it's one of their projects. Okay, so uh, I've I've seen the tragedy of Macbeth. I've not seen Scruggs. I've not seen Hail Caesar. Uh, I have seen Inside Lewin Davis. I have seen True Grit. Should I be counting counting these? Uh, fuck it. One, two. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, True Grit, Serious Man, Burn After Reading, No Country, uh, The Lady Killers, uh, Intolerable Cruelty, uh, Oh Brother, We're Out of the Big Lebowski, Fargo, Barton Fink, Miller's Crossing, Raising Arizona. So 13. Yeah. Is that all of them? I feel like I'm missing one. Oh no, those are the right, that's writing. Okay. There's a few that I know I still want to see. Like, I want to see you True, oh. True Grit and Raising Arizona. Yes. And then I want to rewatch Oh Brother, Where Art Thou so that I can actually watch it properly. You should 100% watch Raising yeah. Arizona. 100% yeah. watch Raising Arizona. I love me some Nick Cage. It's not a movie I was going to talk about this week, but he was just in one that came out on uh, Prime called Renfield. Mm-hmm. Kind of terrible, but kind of fantastic. And he does it. He does cheese so well. But he also does serious well. I love him. He's such a weird human being, and I respect it. He is indeed. He is indeed. All right. Miller's Crossing gets a four. I'm happy to see it get that high of a ranking. What else you got? All right. The next movie that I watched was a 2023 release Ooh. Um, that just came out. It's not on a streamer yet, but I've been waiting for it to be rentable for a very long time. And that was You Hurt My Feelings, oh. starring Julia, Ray- Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. Um, they play a couple who have been together for a very long time. And it's kind of a movie about how there are certain things that this couple just doesn't like communicate well to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Tobias plays a therapist and Julia is an author. Uh, Tobias kind of plays a therapist who a lot of his clients aren't feeling very satisfied with the uh, service that he gives. Mm-hmm. And uh Julia Louis-Dreyfus has just written a manuscript that um, isn't being well-received by her publisher. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie starts, goes off essentially because um, her husband this whole time is like, no, it's great. Like, I've loved it. And he's read it like 20 different times in different variations. He's like, oh, it's so good. And then she overhears a conversation between him and one of his friends. And they don't know she's around saying that he hates it. He thinks it's terrible. Some of her worst work. Um, and so she gets really upset by that and they kind of go down this kind of rabbit hole of all the stuff that they've never like admitted to each other um but also it kind of like affects their son in a similar way that like she does 
to her son, what like her husband's been doing to her to like almost like little white lies to like protect their feelings and to encourage them, but also not being very helpful in the, like, you know, trying to give criticism and not being able to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only 90 minutes long. It was a really easy 90 minutes. They had really great chemistry. Um, I also think Tobias Menzies adorable. I haven't seen him in much. I fell in love with him watching the crown. Uh, he plays Prince Philip for a couple seasons. He's absolutely adorable. Um, but yeah, super easy movie to just pop on and just kind of enjoy. It wasn't anything too crazy. Um, I think it was, it was, it was just fun. It was easy. Um, she, the wife and her sister, I can't remember who plays her sister. They are hilarious together. Her sister's absolutely hilarious as well. They're, they have a really great relationship and very typical sister-like, um, the bickering, but also the caring for each other. It was very cute to watch. Um, and I definitely recommend it. It's just like a nice, easy, nice, easy movie with couples, you know, not communicating with each other. Um, and trying to try to figure out if they can get over that hump as mm-hmm. they as they go through their lives together still. Um, this is another one I gave a four to. I almost gave it a three, um, but I think it made me it made me laugh a little a little more than I think a three deserves. So I gave it I gave it a four. It was very enjoyable. Awesome. Now I'm gonna last thing I'm gonna talk about a movie and then there's a TV show after. Sure. So I'm gonna start with the last movie that I watched. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. Every time I watch it, I think it creeps higher and higher up that list. Um, a Greta Gerwig classic. <laughs> I watched Little Woman last night. <laughs> I Can you call a movie that's like three years old a classic? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, you can, Annie. <laughs> okay. Just check it. It's going to become one, I think. Just especially in her, you know, as one of Greta Gerwig's earlier movies. I think it's going to absolutely become like it's a staple of hers, and I think it's absolutely going to become a classic, um, just as the original. Or I mean, I guess not even the original. I think there was one before, but just as the there what ninety four Little Women came. I think I'm a little off. I think you're right. I think it's ninety two. It's keep, in. Keep going. It's for sure in the nineties somewhere. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. It is absolutely incredible. If for some reason you have no idea what this movie is about, it follows this family of four daughters and a mother. They're the March family, um, and it follows them uh, through. I can't even think about what war it is. To be quite honest with you, it's gotta, right be, now. It's gotta be the Civil War. Civil War. That makes sense. Um, and trying to just get by, showing their relationships together and how they grow up. It's really a beautiful movie. Saoirse Ronan is probably one of my favorite actresses right now. There is nothing that woman can't do. Um, and I really appreciate what she did for the character mm-hmm. of Joe March. Because Joe March is one of my all-time favorite literary characters. I've connected with her for a very long time, and I think she's such an important literary character, especially for kind of, you know, she's a bit more, you know, I guess tomboyish i don't even know if people still say that anymore um and for a character who was written in the you know late 1800s it's pretty incredible to watch um this character continue to be very relevant and very very important to i think a lot of people um my other favorite performance in this movie is timothy chalamet i fucking love timmy he's so goddamn good in this movie as he is again in almost every movie 
He's a wonderful Lori. Him and him and Sasha Ronan have fantastic chemistry. Um, and I was even reading when Barbie was coming out, Greta Gerwig was trying to find a way to get both Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet into Barbie because uh, they feel like her children. Mm. And it felt weird doing a movie without them because they were both in Lady Bird and Little Women, um, which was so sweet. Oh. Um, Chalamet must have been busy with Dune 2. Probably. I, Saoirse Ronan was also... They were both busy filming something. Yeah. Uh, and they both have... I think they both have quite a few movies coming down the docket. Um, so yeah, they were just, yeah, well, he's, he, they were both busy. He would have also been filming the Wonka film. Probably. Yeah. Oh, I think that movie's going to be bad and I'm a little scared. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie never fails to make me laugh, cry, feel all the things. Saoirse Ronan gives probably one of my favorite movie moments, sort of monologues, um, which is where, after a major event in the in the movie, Joe and her mother are in the attic um, chatting, and Joe gives a very impassioned monologue about womanhood that Greta Gerwig is so good at writing and making you feel comes from such a deep place in the character's heart. And it's just absolutely incredible. I fucking love this movie. This movie is a five out of five every single day of the week. There's nothing. I have no complaints about this movie. There's nothing wrong with this movie. It's perfect. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> I'm going to watch this movie. <laughs> the next time you're before. So I can discuss it the next time you're on. And I'm just going to tear it apart. Just to watch your face. I will. I will cry and then I will log off. <laughs> you will not get me back. That is how you will end Jordan Spires coming on your podcast. We only have, this is our first episode and we're already ending it. <laughs> this might be a one and done, Manny. <laughs> fair enough. It's fair enough. Uh, I actually, uh, I haven't seen this since uh, I saw it in theaters. And really? Uh, yeah. 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 Just not high on my rewatch. Do I own it? I That's must fair. own it. Hold on. Let me see if I own it. You, you can talk is, for a bit. This is one of my comfort watches. Like, when I'm kind of having, like, a bad brain day or when I'm tired, when I'm stressed, this is, like, one of five movies that I am more than happy to just put on, let happen. I barely even feel like I need to watch it at this point because I always know what's going on. Nice. I actually don't think I own this. What the fuck is your problem? <laughs> I guess, I guess I like this movie more than you do. Uh, I mean, I've seen it more than you have. I don't own a lot of movies. I stream them all, or I, or I watch them through other means. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie is is spectacular. Uh, I loved it. I remember going into the movie theater going, I'm only watching this because it's nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> I have no desire to watch this I love Saoirse Ronan, but I'm going to be bored out of my fucking skull. And I left the theater going, Greta Gerwig is a filmmaker that I will follow from this day forward. Yeah. Greta Gerwig has very, very quickly um, streamlined herself to, like, my must-watch director's list. I will watch anything she does. She's doing a couple of Chronicles of Narnia films. I'm so intrigued. I'm so sad. I think sad. she can do very interesting things with them. <laughs> I, I want, <clears throat> yeah. No. I know we don't need it. 
Um, I do think that the Chronicles of Narnia movies did not get... Um, I don't think they got... Like, after the first one, I don't think any of them really got a lot of recognition. They weren't great. Um, they're not really movies that people are like, yeah, that, these adaptations were fantastic. Like, no one talks about these the stories like that. So I'm curious to see, one, how they do them. Because when they originally made the movies, they only made some the ones that followed the conceived children. They didn't do all seven. So I'm curious to see if they'll do them all. But I trust her. I trust her. I'm just, I would rather her... I would just rather see her talents go somewhere else. Yeah. Like, I I, I don't know. Whatever. It, it's just those kind of movies are going to take up so much time. There's so they much are. special effects and post-production. So we're not going to get something from her for two to three years. Like, what a waste of talent. Yeah. It's definitely very possible. Right? Like, if she, like we don't even know if she started on them because there's a writer's well, strike not, and, a, yeah. and an actor's strike. So... We're not going to get a Greta Gerwig film till maybe, what are we looking at, 2027? Oh, like, that's, that's, what, I'm ta- that that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, that's just, no no thank you. No thank you. I know. But I mean, we, oh, actually we did, never mind. Two and then four. We've been four years between Little Women and Barbie. But, who knows? This strike might just fuck everything up and... Yeah. Everything's to be. I'm so sad. I feel like we're about to enter a very sad time. No, no. Cinema. What she could end up doing is just going making an A24 film. Which I believe she probably would. Although she wouldn't like she wouldn't be able to do that. I think she's on now, but I think she could totally make her own A24 film yeah. very easily. Go A24. Cheers to A24. A24 and there's a studio that is willing to meet the needs of writers and actors. Yeah. There's another, uh, I think another studio uh, got in as well, but I just can't remember oh, who it is. Oh, good for them. Yeah. If, Anyways. The indie, if the indies can do it, anybody can. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. What right. show are you talking about? So, I, the only reason why I'm talking about this is because I've binge-watched almost three full seasons of the show since the last time we spoke, which was less than a week ago. Yeah. And that's The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, snap. Yeah, so this has been really high on my watch list, but I've just kept putting it off because I part of me just wanted to read the book first, um, but then I realized that that just wasn't going to happen anytime soon, and it's a show that I've been really aching to watch, and so while I'm not like working and I have a lot of time on my hands, I figured I'm trying to get through a lot of the TV shows that have been on my list, so mm-hmm. I can just like, I have the time, so I might as well get through them. Um so The Handmaid's Tale, based on a Canadian classic by Margaret Atwood. Um, and if anyone's unfamiliar, it follows a this sort of new dystopic world order where due to climate crises, um, there is sort of a mass infertility in the world. Um, and so in the this originates in the U.S. Um, and districts in the United States are essentially kidnapping women who are still able to have children and forcing them into households where they are to bear the children for these, like, elite families, um, which is pretty fucked up. However, my first thought when this show started was, wow, I think the United States is genuinely only, like, maybe five years away from this being a potential reality, uh, which is quite terrifying. But, you know, when you think about all the shit that's going on down there with reproductive rights and access to health care for certain groups, this is not this is not so far fetched, which is quite depressing. Um, 
stars Elizabeth Moss in the main character, um, June, and she's phenomenal in this show. She, so much of, like, she carries the show on her back pretty much, and she's, a lot is asked of her emotionally in this kind of role. Like, she's a handmaid, and she's going through some pretty awful shit, um, constantly you know she had her like all these women who have been kidnapped have all had children before and they've been taken away from their kids they don't know where their kids are people are getting you know gunned down put into facility like it's so fucking wild um but i'm really glad i've been able to finally watch this and it's so good there's not a boring moment to this show it is like boom 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 there's always shit going on she's causing a lot of shit constantly and it's fantastic but also really really stressful because you're like please stop trying to get yourself killed like every episode if you just took an episode break chill out that'd be really nice um yeah i've watched again i've watched almost three seasons i have like two episodes left i'm gonna try and watch once we hang up on this tonight (laughs) um (laughs) so it's it's engrossing like i don't want to stop watching and i don't even think it's done i think season six premieres in september Mm -hmm. I caught it at a good time. Um, and it actually does now make me want to go back and read the book, because the book came out in the 80s. So in the 80s, she pictured this world, and Margaret Atwood created this based on things that she knows were already happening in certain parts of the world, I think especially in some of the more underdeveloped nations. And it really makes me want to go back and read this book that was written in the 80s that is so incredibly relevant 43 years later. Um, but so far it's absolutely phenomenal. I'm a little obsessed with it. And, uh, I think if it's one that, you know, the idea of it interests you, give it a go. And honestly, I think even if you haven't read the book, I don't think it follows the book that much. I think the basics are the same. There's aspects of it that are the same, but I mean, it's six seasons long for a book that's a 250 pages. So it's very, very outside. They, They do a lot of, a lot of extra stuff and I'm very, very excited to see where it continues to go. That's fair. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about this. I've never watched. I've never watched it. It's not high on my watch list, yeah. but not only because the things that are high are the must. The, yeah. yeah, like Sopranos and The Wire are what I want to tackle next. I'm. I was trying to do Better Call Saul, and mm-hmm. while it's okay, it hasn't grasped me, so I'm not anxious to keep going with it. Aw, that's unfortunate. It is. Because I hear it's just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. So I think I need to kind of suck it up. Because I'm still early. I'm only, like, in season two. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I've definitely thought about watching it. But Saul was never my favorite part of Breaking Bad. So I don't know. It's not... It, that one's not high on my watch list right now. The only reason I want to watch it is I've heard numerous people say that mm-hmm. it's better than Breaking Bad. I don't believe people when they say that. I know. <laughs> and that's Ricky Bad was so good. I know. And so that's why I was like, okay, I'm like, if you say this is better than Breaking Bad, then I have to check this out. That's fair. So I need to just kind of suck it up because I, I am doing a watch along with Wes and Duncan. And I, oh, yeah. and I have not watched an episode in at least two months. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. So are they just like flying past you? No, there's waiting around Wes Wes is not getting ahead of anybody on any of these types of things right now (laughs) new new uh 
Yeah, he. But neither one of them has ever been like. I'm not getting any poking. I'm, oh, I'm not, they I'm not, don't know to harass you yet. Yeah, they're neither one of them is like, hey, Manny. Oh my gonna... god, could you imagine if Mushy or Rachel were in that group? You'd be getting a message every single day being, Manny, watch a new episode. Manny, watch a new episode. Manny, watch a new episode. Well, yeah, they could try every day if they wanted, but I, I refused to binge. <laughs> so I was, I was willing to, uh, at best, do an episode a week. Maybe, yeah. maybe two. So I should maybe get on top of it, but I'm not really all that concerned. I'm, I'm having such a great time watching really bad movies from 1990. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So how are you caught up to the beginning of season six now with Handmaid's Tale? Or are you still watching it? No, I think I've got, I have two more seasons okay. um, left, which I should be able to get done in time, which I will be able to get done in time for season six. The other thing I wanted to mention is that it's really graphic. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a lot more graphic and violent than I think I was prepared for it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit of a shock, but then I've kind of gotten used to it. But very consistently violent and hard to watch at times, for sure. But right. very good. So do you have much experience with Elizabeth Moss? Like, you have, did you watch Mad Men? No. Okay. I didn't. And I really don't. I'm trying to, I'm going to look her up right now and see what I've seen her in, but I don't think it's much. The Invisible Woman. Yeah. The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. Sorry. That movie was so good. Yeah. Yeah. That movie was so much better than what I thought it was going to be. That movie, yeah, I was shocked. That movie was fantastic. Okay. I really enjoyed it. Oh, she was in, she was apparently in Us. I don't remember her in that. Um, I also don't really remember her in the French Dispatch. She's in the movie Shirley, which I want to watch. It's about Shirley Jackson, but I haven't seen it. And I don't think I've seen her. I genuinely don't think I've seen her in anything That's outside fair. of this. Uh, Mad Men is an absolutely brilliant show. I, I can't heap enough praise I've heard, on it. I do, I do want to watch Mad Men. It's um, it's that's with um John Hamm. Yes. And and and, and Christina Hendricks. Oh right, one of your one of your wives. Anyways. Um Keep it in your pants, Manny. Yeah. <laughs> um Mad Men, one of the reasons I liked it so much, uh not a spoiler or anything, it's so unlike any other show you've seen. Because it's not, it does not really have an overarching story throughout the season. It's so, it's so entertaining and so well acted and so well put together. But at the, when the season ends, you're like, what the fuck? Like, what? That's, what just happened? <laughs> it was so kind of refreshing yeah. for that. It, I, I don't know. I it's It's hard, it's hard to explain, but like. Everybody in that show is so good, especially John Hamm. I oh. fucking love John Hamm. He's so funny and such a weird person. And he does he like takes on such weird roles. Yeah, I love is, him. He's fantastic. The the roles he takes on are so opposite of Don yeah. Draper. Are so of so opposite of Don Draper. Like I don't see any of the character that he played on that show in any role he's done. Yeah. Interesting. And Don Draper is one sexy motherfucker. Holy shit. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's what you've been watching. Let's get into what I've been watching. I watched a new movie uh, for 2023. Uh, it just popped up for me on Netflix. Uh, I was actually going to ignore it until I saw that my boy Ben Mendelsohn was in it. That movie is uh. To Catch a Killer. Uh, Baltimore, New Year's Eve, a talented but troubled police officer is recruited by the FBI's chief investigator to help profile and track down a disturbed individual terrorizing the city. I was worried that this was going to be um, kind of schlocky and dumb. Um, what this is, is it's a procedural on how they try to catch... He's not a serial killer. Um, he's more of a mass murderer. Um, that's not a spoiler. Uh, the movie opens with him... Uh, murdering uh, numerous people in a terrifyingly realistic fashion that is quite chilling. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and realistic in that you're like, this could easily happen. And it has in the States because they reference the shooting it's most like, which, no, no spoilers, this is very similar to that Las Vegas shooting. Oh, shit. Yeah. Similar in regards to that thing. Um, so this is a procedural. This is... This is the kind of movie about um, police work and criminals and killers that I enjoy. It's about how they catch him. It's not about thrills and chills and and almost catching him and he gets away and there's some big car chase. It's not that at all. This is a procedural. This is about them gathering evidence, following leads, those leads becoming completely false and it trips up the investigation. Um Ben Mendelsohn, as always, is fucking brilliant and absolutely owns every scene he's in. Shailene Woodley is sadly not quite up to the task. They mm. give her character, uh, they try to give this character a lot of extra depth and a lot more than, honestly, what she really needs for this kind of movie. But I think they just wanted to have an interesting character for her to play. And it's not that she's bad, um, it's just that she's given a lot to work with and she just doesn't quite step up to the plate. Interesting. Like if you, if we had somebody with a little bit more talent, someone like, like let's just aim big. If we had Jennifer Lawrence or mm -hmm. a younger Kate Winslet, this would be mind blowingly good. Um, this plays right into the type of movie I liked. So I had a really great time. My only problem with the movie is the ending I'm not quite sure if it worked for me. Um, and when I mean the ending, I don't mean like the, the actual ending of the movie, the climax. Um, so with Mendelssohn, with it being a procedural, uh, this is definitely heavily leaning on David Fincher. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the mood of the film, the cinematography is very reminiscent of Zodiac and Seven. Uh, so that's major influences. So that's part of the reason that I enjoyed this movie so much. It was a four for me. Uh, I think for most other people, it'll probably be a three. But I think it's a movie that if anybody just wants to put on like a little bit of a thriller movie, like on a Friday night, this is a great one to put on. I think it's. I think there's no reason that people wouldn't enjoy this movie. Fair. Yeah. I. This has popped up on my Netflix as well. Um, it, well, it didn't look great, so I didn't click on it. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm very 
Shailene Woodley's a very interesting one for me because she became very popular. Like she's only a few years older than me, and she was in a lot of like the she was in a lot of shows I was watching as a kid, and she's in um, three book to movie adaptations that I really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never necessarily loved them because of her. She was usually not my favorite part in a lot of these movies. Was that um, was that the Divergent films? Yeah, she was in Divergent, um, The Fault in Our Stars, and The Spectacular Now. Those were all books I loved when I was, like, 15 years old. She was in the movies, and um, I enjoyed all three of those movies, but she's not... Not not because of her. Not because of her. It's mainly because they did a good job at adapting texts that I really loved. Okay. Um, Not that she was bad in any of them, necessarily, although... As the Divergent series went on, I think she was. <laughs> Those movies got very bad very fast. Okay. Um, and then she's in one that I really, really want to rewatch because I remember really enjoying it, and that's The Descendants. <gasps> Me too. I want to watch um, that so bad. Yeah, that's high on my rewatch list just because I keep, like, I remember being really good, but I don't remember anything that actually happened in it, so I really want to rewatch it. Same. I um, saw it in also... theaters and I remember nothing. Yeah, I'm like, George Clooney's in it, so I'm going to enjoy it. I just don't know how much. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's by the same guy that did Sideways, which is a movie I fucking love. Oh, Sideways was really good. Yeah. I yeah. really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. Uh, the next movie is uh, Return to 1990, as I keep ticking off my 1990 rewatches. Uh, this was the first time an iconic pair appeared on screen together, and this is easily their worst film together. That is Tom, oh. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in Joe versus the Volcano. When a hypochondriac learns that he is dying, he accepts an offer to throw himself in a volcano at a tropical island, and along the way there, learns to truly live. Uh, I remember this movie being not that good, and I'm happy to report that I was right. Uh, Tom Hanks isn't that charming. Meg Ryan, though, is at least trying something new. She plays three roles in this movie. Oh. Yeah. Uh, She plays a co-worker of Tom Hanks at this incredibly downtrodden and horribly depressing uh, factory. And then she plays uh, sisters uh, of this uh, billionaire who's paying Joe to throw himself in the volcano. And they are three completely different characters with the last one, spoiler alert, the one that he falls in love with. Mm. And that is, she is basically playing the Meg Ryan that you know. Mm. The other two characters she plays, especially the other sister, are very entertaining. She is honestly the only reason to watch this movie. Interesting. Even then, I'm not going to recommend it. I I gave this a two. You know, I did have this on my 1990 rewatch list, mainly because it's the first time you get to see Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan on screen together. Mm-hmm. So I did. I was curious. I did want to watch it, but I it's not climbing up my list at the moment. <laughs> so I don't know that I'm going to get to it. I don't no. think I will. I, I, there's so many other movies from this year that I would yeah. love for you to watch that I think you would enjoy yeah. infinitely more than this. This movie just it tries to play up the... He's sad, but he now he's finding out that he has stuff to live for, even though he's dying. Uh, it's and it just doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work at all. There's not a lot of laughs, and it is a 33 year old movie. 
I don't know what you call it. There is kind of blackface in it. Oh, no. You can't quite tell because all a lot of the actors at the tropical island are under a whole bunch of paint because of tribal paint. Mm. But I know that two or three of them are white mm. because I know the actors. But you can't, you can't, you can't tell they're white. Um, it is a fictional uh, tropical yeah. thing, so it, they're not really offending anybody, and they're not doing anything overly offensive. The only, no. the only thing they're doing is that the whole tribe has become addicted to a soda pop. Oh, yeah, okay. it's 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 just not, it's just not the best movie. There's so many yeah. other movies from 1990 that are worth watching. Uh, unless you're doing a massive 1990 rewatch like me, this is easily one you can <laughs> skip. Like I said, I gave it a two. Um, yeah, don't don't bother. Yeah, fair enough. It's uh, got a 3.2 on, on Letterboxd. Yeah, I, I'm definitely in the minority, so you can keep that in mind, but definitely some of the other ones I've I've recommended to you to yeah. watch over top yeah. of this are ones that you'll I, – I think personally that you would enjoy more. Uh, the last one is one I actually watched a while ago, but I want to bring it up because I did a watch along with Rachel with this movie, uh, and it's the horror comedy Arachnophobia. Oh. <laughs> uh, a species of South American killer spider hitches a lift to the U.S. in a coffin and starts to breed and kill. This movie stars Jeff Daniels uh, and Julian Sands and... Uh, Daniels? Yeah, and somebody that you love and admire, John Goodman. Aww. Yes. This, this is what you should watch instead of Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> yeah. This movie is a lot of fun. It is, if you are scared of spiders, this is going to make your skin crawl. Oh, I'm good with spiders. They they do a really good job. Uh, it is a horror comedy, but it's not a horror in that it's gross. It's just a horror because spiders kill people. That's why it's a, it's a horror. Uh, John Goodman is in a very minor role, but it is one of those roles that steals every scene that he's in. Uh, I think personally, you would just absolutely adore John Goodman in this movie. Good. Uh, I need movies where I adore John Goodman and where he doesn't make me scared of him. Yeah, this would be the exact opposite. Good. Um, you, the movie is... Very well put together. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I remember being scared of it when I was younger because I used to be scared of spiders, but I got over that fear when I moved in with my one of my best friends who is a real arachnophobe. Oh. You know, when people are kind of creeped out by spiders, yeah. and they, they kind of recoil. They're like, oh, spider. Uh, he would turn <laughs> white and almost pass out. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and while this sounds funny, what I'm about to tell you about it, uh, it's not when you see it in person, but he's 6'4 and 280 pounds. Oh, damn. So seeing a large man completely frozen in fear isn't as funny as you think it is when it's, yeah, re when it's real. Um, so when him and I moved in together, uh, I quickly had to get over my fear of spiders. Oh. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of our favorite stories to tell that, that he loves telling is when him and I were living together, uh, I'm out in the front room watching TV, and I hear a blood-curdling scream, and he comes running out from the shower, buck naked, <laughs> begging me to go kill a spider that was in the shower. <laughs> yes. Aww. Yeah. And it was at that moment that our friendship was forged forever. 
That's adorable. Yeah. But we were actually <laughs> we were actually best friends before that, anyways. But yes, he 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 loves to tell that story. <laughs> Um, yeah, Arachnophobia, uh, it's a three out of five. It is such an enjoyable watch. Interesting. If, if you get a chance to watch it, yeah. I, I think that's a movie that I know. I'm pretty sure that you like Jeff Daniels. Um, I love Jeff Daniels. Then you should check this out because you'll be like, oh, my God, look how young he is. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I love doing that. I, just, I did that in, in, the, in the movie we're actually reviewing today. I was like, damn, I've never seen these people so young before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100% uh, give Arachnophobia a watch. It is a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, I, d I gave it a 3 out of 5. It's a fun, easy watch, uh, and it's just under two hours long. Nice. All right, so that's what we've been watching. It's time to get into the review of the movie that you all came here to listen to, and that is Misery. Released November 30th, 1990, directed by Rob Reiner, written by William Goldman, starring James Caan, Kathy Bates, and Richard Farnsworth. Uh, oh, damn. Uh, has a meta score of 75 and a letterbox score of 4.0. Nice. That is solid. That is solid. Um, Great score. It got nominated for one Oscar, winning that Oscar for Best Actress for Kathy Bates. Uh, had a budget of $20 million, and it grossed 61 at the box office, making it the 19th highest grossing film of the year. The plot, after a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels, he comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. <laughs> Jordan. That's quite the synopsis. I know. You had not seen this movie. No. You agreed to join me in watching it. Yes. Tell us your spoiler-free thoughts on Misery. Yeah. So um, I have not seen Misery, um, but as a... As a, as a book nerd, mm -hmm. I am aware of its existence um, as a great Stephen King novel. Um, so I figured this would be a fun one to hop on because I typically really enjoy Stephen King. And I find his like people are usually very good at adapting his work. I think he makes it pretty easy for people to adapt his work because he writes really great, um, very visual stories. Uh, but I was very curious to see one that I hadn't read the source material of. Um, I didn't know anything actually about the plot of this movie, though, going into it. Nice. Um, I had the only thing I knew about it was that Kathy Bates was in it. I didn't even know that James Caan was in it. Um, so that was a fun that was a fun surprise for me. I really enjoyed it. Right, because you love Elf. Yes. Right. It, it, was, it was so funny seeing him in this. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's the shitty dad from Elf. <laughs> Um, so it was really fun, and that was one of the moments where I was like, holy shit, he's so fucking young. And even same with Kathy Bates. Like, I had very rare that, I mean, she's really not an actress I've had a lot of exposure to, mm -hmm. outside of some of her maybe shittier movies, like The Waterboy. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I think of Kathy Bates, I think of The Waterboy, because my dad and I watched that a lot when I was a kid. Okay. Um, so that's unfortunate. I know she's better than that, but that's just kind of what I picture her as. Um, so it was really, really cool to get to see them so young and so early, early on in their careers. Um, this movie was a wild ride. Wicked. Um, from start to finish, it was very, you know, a lot happens. It was very cringy at times. Like I, I definitely like, like tightened up many times there are many times where i would audibly scream owie 
um, some, some some fucked up shit that goes on in this uh, in this movie. But it's a lot of I don't necessarily want to say it's a lot of fun, but it kind of is um, because Kathy Bates plays such a fucked up human being. Yep. Um, that it's so interesting to watch her and her character is able to turn it on and off in an instant. Like it's kind of terrifying in that way. Yep. Um, and knowing that this is a Stephen King book, I knew it wasn't going to be like, like spooky horror. I knew it was going to be definitely a lot more like human humanistic horror, which it was psychological. Um, Yes. Very psychological. Um, there's a few moments a few moments also just I got an audible laugh from, uh, which I wasn't expecting in this, but there were definitely a couple times where I was like, <laughs> okay, what the fuck? It's like a good chuckle. So I, yeah, I had a really, really good time with this. Um, it's really well put together. It was mm-hmm. really well made. Um, but the, I think, you know, and James Conn is, you know, James Conn was great in this, mm-hmm. but Kathy Bates was spectacular in this movie. Agreed. Um, and I'm, uh, yeah. Look forward to talking a lot more about her batshit character later on. Awesome. Uh, so I saw this movie in theaters when I was fourteen or fifteen. Did I? No, I would have seen it. I would have seen it on uh, home video, home video. Uh, and I can't quite remember if I had read the book prior or after. Uh, like I was mentioning before we start recording, there are two differences that I can remember. Again, when I read this book, I would have been a teenager, so we're talking 30 years ago. So I can't quite remember everything, but what I do remember is uh, a difference in one scene, which I'll discuss when we get to it, uh, and then the other difference being a method of uh, murder that Annie partakes in that is not in this movie. Um, I did read some Stephen King when I was younger, uh, it is still my favorite book I've ever read. Damn. Um, I read it when I was 14 or 15, and it scared the shit out of me. Uh, yeah, I bet it did. Yeah, I, I remember at one point I had to close the book. I was so scared while reading it. And um, Misery was a good read. This is um, one of – well, I obviously haven't read – uh, as many books as you have, not being a, a book enthusiast anymore, uh, this is one of the closest uh, book-to-screen adaptations I've ever seen. And I loved how uh, Rob Reiner stayed true to the source material. I agree. Uh, James Caan is really good in this, and uh, I think he's, I think he's sadly overlooked because Kathy Bates is so incredible. And... While I wish I could say that's unfortunate, it's not really. James Caan is – he was in The Fucking Godfather. He's doing just fine. Um, yeah. This is the movie that brought us Kathy Bates to Hollywood. She was a well-known um, theater actress, and uh, they brought her on board for this, and she's been – she wins the Oscar and smooth sailing from there on out. She is absolutely mind-blowingly good in this movie. And it's just one of those iconic performances. When I think of Kathy Bates, this is what I think of. And it's, a, it's a, just a performance and a role that I, I will never be able to shake. I never have. Um, she's absolutely spectacular. Um, I think 
that's about all I can say without spoiling anything. So, Jordan, why don't you take us into spoilers? Yeah, for sure. So, we are going to spoiler, spoiler, we're going to spoil this 33-year-old movie in 3, 2, 1, go fuck yourselves. All right, time to break down some scenes. As always, we're going to try and be as chronological as we can, which should be fairly easy. Um, My first scene's pretty far into the film, so what do you have first? I have when we first meet Kathy Bates. Okay, so when uh, Paul wakes up. When Paul wakes up, yeah. Perfect, go with that. Okay. So the main reason why I wanted to talk about this scene um, is because when we first meet her, uh, I wrote this note down. And it is, oh fuck, is she going to be a fan of the Misery series and then torture this poor man for what he does to the main character in the last book? Nice. Um, (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I was pretty proud of that. You should be. As it was happening, I was like, oh, "Oh, I was right. (laughs) I didn't even get you to guess the plot of Misery last week. I didn't even think of that till right now. Oh, shit. Well, we also didn't know. We weren't 100% confirmed. We didn't know what we were doing. That's right. We didn't know we were doing Misery until Saturday. Yes. That's right. Fuck you, Rachel. Um. <laughs> That's lame. Yeah, so I was really I was really proud of that. Hell yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. Lie that I that I picked up on. I will say it didn't the the one thing that I found with this movie was I personally did find it to be very predictable as it went on. Like nothing happened that necessarily shocked me mm-hmm. um there were still like there were parts of it where i was like oh i don't want to watch that happen and oh please don't please don't please don't and then it happens i'm like ah i don't like it but i felt like plot wise i was able to put it together pretty pretty easily i think um, i think also and sorry to cut you off i think it's yeah. also because this kind of formula has been done so many times since then that's true i was gonna ask how this movie was received in 1990 and like if this was like like a terrifying kind of actual horror movie where i find it's now it's not necessarily so like such a scary movie no this this wasn't seen as a as a terrifying terrifying film like is it yeah it's not listed as a horror on imdb i don't think anybody would consider this a horror film it's <laughs> definitely a thriller like this is <laughs> this is right up a thriller and that's how everyone yeah. saw it what everyone um there's there's basically two legacies of this movie, which I'll get into when we get to that aspect. Yeah. Um, this movie was seen as a, just a really well-made, well-executed thriller that kind of exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Nice. Um, so yeah, in this scene, um, you meet Annie, um, such an innocent name for such a crazy bitch. Um, I'm going to call her that a lot, by the way. Mm-hmm. Usually either like, we're in the nut house or this crazy bitch or a lot. Those happened a lot in my notes here. Um, you meet her. She seems like this super sweet person, but the second anybody who has you in their home tells you they're your number one fan, you should be concerned. Um, and I was very uneasy from her from the get go. Um, I was also really uncomfortable watching when you saw all of his injuries and his fucking legs and his feet grossed me the hell out. Yeah, that's that pretty, was, pretty disgusting. Yeah, that was not fun to watch. Um, that was one of the moments that kind of gave me the shakes a little bit. Um, 
but yeah, I find the scenes very interesting because they, they set it up well that you know you're not supposed to trust Annie. Um, you know something, something spunky's going on. Something's wrong. Um, she's not to be trusted. Uh, not not from a second. Yeah. This, I, I respected that. Yeah, they set up the characters really well. Um, they set up... You get this uneasy feeling about Annie from the start, especially when she leads that I'm your biggest fan. Uh, you should be leading with, are you okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, how are you feeling? How's your pain? Yeah. Maybe we should take you to the hospital now. Yeah. We, uh, we, learn, we learn pretty quickly, or we get a feeling of there's something off about this yeah. character, uh, and it's all right in Kathy Bates' incredible performance, and it's just the tip of the iceberg on what we're going to get from her as an actress and what we're going to get from this character. Yeah, I also think it's kind of interesting that Paul, I don't think Paul yet has a has that same sense of worry. Like, I think he's just happy to be, like, alive and in a bed. I don't yep. think he, he doesn't yet have, like, that sense of something's wrong. He's kind of milking it up a little bit even in this, in this which is kind of funny to watch. He's not yet. He's not yet terrified. I don't think he. Gets, I don't think he gets terrified until we get to the soup scene, uh, which, yeah. I, which I'm uh, isn't one the one I picked, but it was one yes. that I, I mentioned. Um, what's your next scene you have? It's actually a little bit down. Oh, I think it's actually the. Oh, is it? Uh... I actually don't have a scene until. Um she reads the ending of the book. Okay, that's my first scene that I picked. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot... It's kind of sad. There's a lot to skip over, but a lot of wild stuff happens before that. Mm -hmm. But I just didn't want to waste a scene on, like, the pig. Yeah, totally. Right? Right? It's... But, like, so funny that there's a pig in the house. Because why wouldn't there be a pig in this nut job's house? Yeah. Named Misery. Named Misery. Of course. Yes. Um. So... We see Paul asleep, his body mending, uh, and then we cut to a terrifying shot of Kathy Bates, Annie, sullen, angry, uh, livid would be the word that would best describe her, and she cracks because she has just finished his newest novel uh, where he has killed off his beloved main character. And she loses her mind. She breaks. Uh, she starts throwing or lifting his bed up and down, Ugh. which is causing untold agony uh, to his completely fractured legs. Then she smashes a side table and then smashes it over him. Uh, this is our first real glimpse of the monster that we are uh, about to uh, see for the rest of the film. She leaves him, and then it's here that we get the big reveal that nobody knows he's there. Yeah, that was fucked. And I mean, I wasn't surprised. Like, I knew she hadn't told anybody. Oh, yeah. Like, and you, you do know. But to see it on his face, mm -hmm. where you're, he's like, oh, I'm going to die here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then when Paul drags himself out of bed, mm. and he mm. has to pull his legs out of the and. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, these are the moments where James Caan really flourishes yeah. as an actor. Uh, 
yeah, it's this scene is is one that I had to have. Yeah, that was. I was so, I was I was so tense and cringing for this entire scene because I know that one he's in so much physical pain for like ninety percent of this scene because mm-hmm. she again she's like rocking the bed and his legs are shattered to shit like that's got to be so amazingly uncomfortable and then for him to willingly try and get himself off the bed and his legs like kind of slam down on the ground oh my god no (laughs) no (laughs) i can just think of like when i've got a bruise and i accidentally bump up against a bruise yeah and uh so this would just be absolute agony um all right uh my next scene is when Paul escapes from the room. So is mine. Okay. <laughs> Damn it! I should have picked different seeds. No, it's all good. We're, we're picking. We're picking all the best ones, anyways. We are. Um, I love that he goes to pick the lock, uh, and then says, "You know, I've written about this. Yeah, just do just it. Just do it." <laughs> and then even he was like, "Oh, it works." <laughs> yeah, and then he's so surprised when it actually works. Yeah. <laughs> um, we find out he can't leave. The door is locked from outside. Of course it is. We see the phone, which ends up being a fake. Oh, which, that pissed me off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, fucking of course it is. Uh, Then we get the setup uh, for later on. He bumps the table and catches the penguin. I had a note about this too, actually. Yep. I was like, oh, good catch of the penguin, sir. But I'm worried you put it back in the wrong way and she's going to notice. Yep. Um, I don't, the, the score really helps the tension in this film and yeah. this scene especially because right now it's just adding a little bit of tension but then when we see that annie's on her way back the score really kicks yeah. in um the one thing i i did uh a note i put here is when he tries to get to the back door he can't the, the wheelchair can't get out or get into that kitchen or whatever i think it, yeah it's a kitchen yeah um and he tries to go to the back door my first thought is like where are you going like, I don't e- even think he knows. Like, <laughs> even, like even if you get out, where are you going? Like, you, you're not gonna be able yeah. to go far. So, not that like it's not a, it's not a nitpick. It's just a thought I have. Yeah. I don't care. Like, this movie's got to play within its rules. The things have to happen to ha- make it happen. I'm not looking for realism in movies. They are acts of fiction. Of Th- course, that doesn't bother me. Personally, myself, as soon as she tells me that nobody knows I'm there, she's dead. It is, yeah. it is It is. just that simple because now I know that I am there to die. Who knows how much longer I have. So I, I, is it here? Is it here that he grabs the knife? I can't remember. Not yet. No, not yet. He sees them. Yes, that's right. And you can see, you can tell the wheels start turning. He's like, okay, I can maybe make something, yeah. something work here. But uh, no, he has not grabbed the knife. He just sees it. Yeah. And this is where we, uh, he hears Annie coming back. This is where the score really kicks in races to get back to the room he has to relock the door uh he's fucking sweating his ass off (laughs) sweating so bad and then he he grabs some extra pills those are exposed in his in his waistband he pleads with her so he can hide what he's done uh it's just a really well crafted scene i was so stressed yeah throughout most of this scene um i did also kind of include the like her trying to like set up an office for him yeah that's the scene so prior that, prior to this i kind of include them as the same okay only because they 
they go right into each other and yep. it's so brief but i liked that she's trying to force him to write a new book about how misery it comes back from the dead yep and it the one of the things i found most interesting about this movie is that it remind it it's very similar to i'm in a lot of different fandoms right i love a lot of different nerdy things and it reminds me about how angry some of the fans get i would say in particular in fandoms like star wars that have a lot of the really, really deep into the lore nerdy fanboys who get so incredibly upset when something happens in the lore that they all of a sudden don't like the change of. And they're on Twitter like, you know, like, fix this, rewrite this. They're writing their own sort of stories that's like all of a sudden canon in their mind. And it just reminded me that, you know, this movie came out 33 years ago, but we're still, we're still like this. And unfortunately we have even more greater access to the people who create these stories to make them. So it's like almost make the creators more scared of their fans. Yeah. This is like, this was my introduction to toxic fandom. Yeah. 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 This was terrifying. Like, Oh, I know people like this. I don't know people that would go this far, but if they had access, they might. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very true um what do you have next um i have oh i just have um after the sheriff finds the car and then they're back in his room again where paul's writing on the typewriter because he has to write something and he's just writing fuck, 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 fuck the whole time. Yep. And the only reason why I included that was because that made me laugh <laughs> very hard. Cause he's just sitting there, you know, he has to write something and all you see is just fuck, 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 fuck on the piece of paper. It's absolutely fucking hilarious. Um, and I also think it's just interesting cause he's, he's giving her the pages as he writes them. And Annie comes back all of a sudden with all these criticisms and she's now all of a sudden like, you know, everything's terrible about this book, but I do appreciate being named after the, like the grave digger being named after me. <laughs> Sock in hell. Um, but this is also where you find out that she was apparently married at one point, which I'm not a hundred percent certain, I believe. Um, but apparently she may have convinced some poor man to marry her somehow. Mm. Uh, just kind of fucked up. I still don't, I personally don't know that I believe that that actually happened. Um, Hmm. I think that that could be something that she could lie about. Um, I don't think there's any supporting evidence either way. Um, But I don't, I don't think that ever happened. Just something you have a feeling on. Yeah, that's fair. Um, My next scene is the hobbling. Is the hobbling? The hobbling, where she takes a sledgehammer. Um, I think I skipped that one. Hang on. I didn't name my scenes very well in this uh, in this one. Oh, I have I have one scene. Be- I have a scene before. I didn't pick the sledgehammer, but I have a scene before the sledgehammer. Okay, go ahead. And it was when. Um, 
she's gone out of the house again, and he's going down memory lane in the scrapbook. Oh, okay, yep. That she's kept it for herself. Yep. Which is a very interesting thing to keep of yourself. Like, I recognize that part of it is, like, keeping a record sort of of, like, you know, her prizes in a sense and and having something to hold on to for them. But it's very incriminating something were to happen. That is a very incriminating book to own. <laughs> um, so he's made a scrapbook that's about all these headlines of things that have gone wrong, like, you know, murders and, you know, especially the dead babies. Well, it, was... it, sa- it says in there that she was convicted of them. It does. Yeah. Because uh, they called her Dragon Lady. Yeah. That was crazy. I also want to know, how the fuck does she get out of jail? Who led her back into the realm of society? Why did that happen? No idea. She should have been locked up for the rest of her life. Yeah. For all of these, like, especially for the babies, but even for all the articles she has print out of, like, these people who have fell down a stairway. Like, there was a nurse and her dad. Did she kill her dad? Maybe. she killed her dad. Probably. Oh, that's so fucked up. Um, but one thing I did have to laugh at um, as we were going through the scene is I kept pausing it to try and read the articles, but the articles are just the same two paragraphs over and over and over again, which did make me chuckle. I thought that was pretty funny. Nice. Um, yeah, this is a nice reveal we get to, while we've already seen what a horrible, terrifying person she is, this now just confirms your worst fears is that this yeah. isn't an isolated incident. And that things are probably not going to go well for Paul. Uh, okay, so you skipped over the hobbling. That surprises me, but I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so Paul wakes restrained. And what I love about this scene is Annie is so methodical. Uh, she is just chilling in her... <sighs> procedures. Procedures. Uh, for what's about to happen. Um, he's trying to grab the knife. She pulls it out, saying, are you looking for this? Uh, it is... It just continues to up the tension. The piano score, uh, which I just recently found out, uh, is actually uh, Liberace playing. Oh, nice. Um, uh, is try- she does mention... She does mention earlier in the movie that she's going to go and like listen to her Liberace record, so yeah. that that fits. My heart is racing because I know what's coming. Oh. Um, this is one of the scenes that I have the hardest time to rewatch. Um, yeah. And sadly, I'm easily in the double digits. Oh and, shit. Oh yeah, easily. Um. Khan yes. is brilliant in this scene as he is realizing what's about to happen. Uh, the sledgehammer is shown, and now you understand as she's telling the story of hobbling yes, that's right. that this is what's Ooh. about to be happening. And then she swings and snaps Ugh. his ankle, and it is done so perfectly. They. They don't linger on it. You get to see it. I hated that we saw it. I was hoping we weren't going to, like, do not show me his foot go the other way. (laughs) You need need to see it. And what makes it it even worse is they don't show the second one. 
That's what makes this work even better. It's what you don't show. So you got to see it for a split second, and then you don't see the other one. It's all. It's it works as efficiently as uh, Reservoir Dogs when he cuts the ear off. Oh fuck yeah! Right. God and, no. When when those sledgehammers came down, I was like wiggling my feet so excited that I had the ability to do so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just in agony in this scene. It is uh, difficult to watch and executed perfectly. Uh, okay, what do you got next? All right, I've got. Oh, I my next one is Ding Dong. The witch is dead. Okay, that's uh, not my next one. My next one okay. is Buster comes to the ranch. Good, we finally get to talk about Buster. I was yes. so sad because none of my scenes involved him. I know, but he's a delight. Um, but he has, and he like one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is said by him. So perfect. I, I was sad we didn't get to. So I'm glad you. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Buster has started to piece everything together. I, I love that he is a competent policeman and uh, always question, always questioning. Uh, we Earlier on, we saw that he was incredibly close to discovering. Uh, yeah, inches. Just like fucking, I was like, dude, just walk five more steps, please. <laughs> um, as soon as uh, the vehicles notice and he comes in and sedates Paul, uh, she puts him in the basement. Buster's allowed in. Annie isn't acting overly weird, so it's not ringing off any worries for Buster. He's just going with his gut instinct, and being a sheriff for so long, uh, I think he's just trusting his instincts. And uh, we kind of get the funny moment where he goes into one room and she goes into another, and then they both peek out at the same time to see if the <laughs> other one's doing something that was a nice little a little chuckle um he leaves then hears a crash comes back in finds paul only to be blown into pieces that was so sad that was the one thing i was like wait no that's not supposed to happen (laughs) yes right he's the one that's supposed to rescue paul exactly he's supposed to save them he's supposed to go back to his wife and they're supposed to have a nice, you know, cheers over it or whatever. Like, I was so sad. And I also, while I was sad, I also laughed because it literally was like a hole came out of it. Yep. <laughs> it was so funny to watch for a minute. Yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, that and, was... And Annie reveals that there's going to be a murder-suicide. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, I put two bullets in my gun. One for me, one for you. Yeah. Paul, <laughs> Cute. Paul starts to... Uh, he starts to use psychology against her. Realize, he's always known, but he knows he knows that she is attracted to him. She's told him that she loves him and all this stuff. And so he's playing with her mind to buy some time. And he uses misery to buy the time he needs. Because he says he's almost done the book. You know... Let me finish the book. You can read it, and then we will, and then we will go off together. Um, and then this is where he grabs uh, the kerosene or the, the lighter fluid, whatever you want to call it, uh, and stuffs it in the in the back of his pants, which leads us right into uh, <laughs> into Ding Dong, the witch is dead. Yeah, <laughs> this scene was very satisfying <laughs> to watch. Um, I also really appreciate 
the dramaticism of how he sets up her death. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, you they go back to him and he's still he's still writing because he's you know he told her he's going to finish the book. She's going to get to read the end and then they can die together. Her, him using that was brilliant. And then, you know, she comes into the room because he says he's done. He asks her to go get the champagne, make sure you get two glasses, one for you, one for me. Um, Has his match and a cigarette so that he can, you know, have his celebratory smoke or whatever. Like she knows, like she would know that he does at the end of all of his books because she knows everything about him and it's fucking terrifying. So when he takes those final pages, crumples them up and sets them on fucking fire... I was, like, cheering this man on for such a brilliant, uh, a brilliant setup mm-hmm. to her, to her demise. Um, and when he finally, like, attacks her and then shoves the fucking papers into her <laughs> mouth. God damn it. That is such, that is so twisted, but so fucking brilliant. Awesome. Oh, I fucking love that. I appreciated that so much. And then I also I love the fact that he uses his like dead legs to yes. trip her at the end, and she hits her head, which you think kills her, somehow doesn't. I like that she also hits her head on the typewriter. Yeah, continues to kill her. Um, and then he gets his his final blow in with some sort of metal figure of some sorts, and just it's a pig. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's a pig. Oh shit, I didn't I didn't catch that. Yeah. Um that this is my this is my only complaint to the movie. Is yeah. I wish she had died when she hit the typewriter. Yeah, Cuz it's do so too. perfectly symbolic. There's yeah. no need for the fake out death. Like that extra scare that you yeah. get isn't worth. Like it just would have been so great if she hits the typewriter, dies cut to 18 months later. Yeah, I agree. The yeah. typewriter definitely should have been the final thing that that takes her out. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fantastic kind of wrap up of of everything going on in there. Um, it was very stressful. It was very, but again, very cathartic. You, you know, he really gets to take it out on her um, as much as she, as much as he can. And uh, again, I think, I think the fact. I will never get over the fact that he burns the papers with the finale on it that she does not get to read. So she dies not knowing how the story ends. Yep. And then he just shoves them into her mouth. I just, that's so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. What are you picking as your favorite scene? It's kind of hard, but I think it might be her death. All right. Only because it's very cathartic. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going with the hobbling. Uh, yep, go, yep, sure. <laughs> uh, all right, performance review. Um, I thought we could start by talking about the people we didn't talk about at all, and that was the uh, the two elderly couple. Yeah. Uh, so that would have been Richard Farnsworth, Richard Farnsworth, and Francis Sternhagen. Mm-hmm. Um, they were fucking adorable. Yes, they were. They were so cute together. They were hilarious. Yep. So sweet. Um, very much what you kind of like picture from a, uh, like a small town sheriff's department. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And they were, I just thought they were absolutely adorable. And I was so mad that he died. Yeah. Um, but I think like they, you know, they were kind of the comic relief while also trying to, to solve this murder and, or the, the kidnapping. And I thought they just did a really good, really good job for, for the, for the small amount of time they had. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's absolutely delightful to watch. He is yeah. he is a great little nice touch of comedy mm-hmm. outside of the tension that's going on within the house uh, on the Wilkes farm. Incredible chemistry with Francis Sternhagen. Uh, they have, what, like three or four scenes, and you yeah. automatically buy that these two have been married together forever, <laughs> are totally in love with each other, and are also each other's best friend. Yeah. Uh, absolutely love it. Yeah, agreed. Um, James Kahn, he has to do so much with so little to do. He's stuck in that bed for the majority of the film. So it's all about his reactions, him playing off the incredible performance we're getting from Bates. He has to relay fear, and then he also has to relay that he's trying to hide that fear that he and this is all before the reveal that nobody knows he's there he has to pretend to like her because this is the only person he has contact with and he's just trying to bide his time until he thinks that he can get a hold of somebody to come get him and when that becomes apparent now he has to worry about trying to be nice to her so she will keep him alive uh i just think it's a really underrated performance uh completely overshadowed by I think one of the performance of the decade. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, with, with, a, with another actress or at a different time, James Conn definitely could have been considered for a lot more accolades, but I agree that he was definitely overshadowed by Kathy Bates, which for this movie really wasn't hard because she was, you know, absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. And she had such a harder, I think she had a bit of a harder role to fill out. Um, but she also kind of had a bit more to do that, like she could do with it. Yeah, it's a media. It's a for, media role. Yeah, for someone who had to sit on his ass, pretend to be in pain the whole time, he did a really phenomenal job. Um, and again, like this is a role that really goes so much on his like facial acting and his ability to convey so much with just such a smaller canvas. Mm-hmm. He was he was absolutely wonderful in this movie. Awesome. I don't think I've ever, like, I haven't seen a lot of his movies. I don't think I've ever seen him be bad in anything. Uh, nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. I don't I don't have a lot of history with him. I think the only other thing outside of this and uh, Elf that I've seen him in is The Godfather. Uh, I've got him in, like, I, I finally watched one of his other well-known movies. It's called Thief. It's from the 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic movie. Um, not really much of, like, there's not much for him to like chew on like it's not it's not the role that makes it good it's the film that makes it good yeah um let's see here oh i didn't even know he's in dick tracy which i'm gonna watch soon oh yeah he was in for the boys which i watched because it was a 91 film um oh yeah he was in the program i actually seen more of his movies than i thought here yeah there's yeah 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 he's fine he's fine (laughs) his early stuff is obviously great his later stuff not so much yeah. Uh, and then, so I guess we'll finish on Kathy Bates. Uh, absolutely yeah. incredible performance. Uh, completely worthy of the Oscar win. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, so you've seen her, Julia Robertson, Pretty Woman, and Meryl Streep from Postcards. Yeah. Are you going going with the Academy here? They got it right. Yeah, I am. Yeah. She just has, and I think again, part of it is that she does have such a media role. She has so much more to work with. Yeah. And she really has to use a lot more of her range to make this role believable because mm-hmm. this movie doesn't work if she's not good at being both this eerily nice person who can flip to a fucking maniac in a second. Like the movie really doesn't hit the same if she's not able to do that. She does it amazingly well. She really plays the creepily sweet psychopath really well. Agreed. Uh, That's exactly what I have written down. I feel she can go from sweet to terrifying in a snap of a finger. Um, it's a great role and a great performance that just yeah. introduced Kathy Bates to the world. Yes. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I'm guessing our favorite performance is Bates. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty easy pick. Um, technical review. Um, I'm going to start with the screenplay. Uh, I think it's incredibly well written. It is uh, a, a very faithful adaptation to the book, except for a couple changes. Um, oh, the change I didn't get to talk about. In the book, when they hobble him, uh, she cuts off his foot. Uh, yes. But... Yeah. I honestly don't actually know if that's worse. Like, I think for him, obviously, it's worse. But I think from a visual standpoint, I'm not as bothered by limbs being removed as I am from them becoming fucking useless to I, you. I agree 100%. Uh, I, th- yeah. I think uh, for her to amputate his foot while it still would it it still would have been a very chilling moment, I think this, we can we can think of the pain of when we've rolled an ankle. Yes. Multiply right? it by a thousand. I, yes. Yeah. So as sadistic as this pain is, it's sadly kind of relatable whereas if she chopped off his foot his foot it's a recoil in regards to the violence not uh an uh empathetic to the pain that it would cause because it's it's something that the vast majority of us will never experience hopefully yeah right um (laughs) but the screenplay is so well done it's an incredibly well-written character paul sheldon is a really great character that again like i've said is overshadowed um, because of Kathy Bates's performance, uh, the minor characters are done really well. It's just, it's a a movie that is set almost in one location, and it never feels that way. Uh, yeah, that's it's, true. It's just a really, really great screenplay. Uh, yeah, I what, agree. What would you like to touch on? Uh, I want to talk about the score. Yep, nice. Um, because you know, unlike last week, we watched a movie that was scoreless, and it did it for a very specific purpose uh this is a movie where the you know the score really does help set the scene mm-hmm. um and one thing i really enjoyed about my watching of this movie was it was kind of it was like rainy and cozy in calgary last night so i was able to kind of have like a like a nice kind of eerie experience while watching this nice. and then when you have that kind of score that really you know ups the ante a little bit on the the kind of anxiety that you're already feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, it made for a really great experience getting to watch this movie. It makes you feel what you need to feel when you need to feel it. Uh, one of my favorite moments of the score was actually when um, the sheriff was in the house mm-hmm. and she's ha- she's like trying to hand him 
the hot cocoa. Yep. And the score is very creepy and eerie. Like, don't do it. Like, don't take the cocoa. Something bad's going to happen mm-hmm. here. Like, I loved I loved that moment. Uh, so I think the score is fantastic. I was looking at the guy who who uh, did it, Mark, Mark Shaman. Mark, yep, Mark Shaman. I have not seen a lot of the stuff he's done before. Oh, he's done a lot of really good stuff. Um, Like, I'm going through... Going through his filmography, I've seen some. Like he did a few, a few good men. Mm-hmm. He did Sleepless in Seattle, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily. I guess maybe a few good men, but not necessarily movies that I think of for their score. Um, but he has done quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just haven't seen a good chunk of it. But he even did Hairspray. Like that's hilarious. Nice. I love that for him. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed the score for this movie. Awesome. Uh, I'm gonna touch on the directing. Uh, the use of close-ups on Annie, uh, con- oh. constantly. There were a couple that were terrifying. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, from my understanding, uh, the director of photography, the, the DP is Barry Sonnenfeld, who went on to direct the Men in Black movies. Oh, nice. Um, he, when he saw Kathy Bates, he immediately went to Rob Reiner and Kathy and says, I think there's a lot that we can do with her, um, with the camera. And so they started doing these tests of these different angles and close-ups that he could get of her uh, to just kind of really increase the tension. And I think it worked excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the performances that Rob Reiner gets from Kathy Bates and James Caan are perfect. Um, yeah, I think it's just a, a really well-crafted film uh, it all is. around. Awesome. Anything else you want to touch on? Those, uh, those were the three that I had. Cool. What are you picking for your favorite part? Um, I think for me it was the score. I really enjoyed it. Nice. I'm going with the screenplay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, favorite quotes? Lead us off. All right. So I've got um, an interaction between the sheriff and his wife. Mm. His wife says, well, what do you expect to find? A story about a guy who drove his car off a cliff in a snowstorm? And the sheriff responds, is, you see, just that kind of sarcasm that's given our marriage real spice. Yep love that line um i have annie wilkes when she says she's like complaining about those like plays she would go see mm-hmm. and he says he didn't get out of the cock a car yep. i thought that was really funny love that um i have another annie wilkes where she's talking to sheldon and she says and don't even think about anybody coming for you not the doctors not your agent not your family because i never called them Nobody knows you're here. You better hope nothing happens to me, because if I die, you die. Um, and then I have Paul does Sheldon. Does she walk out the door after she says that? I believe she does, yes. Oh, my God. I need to tell you a story off air. Okay. <laughs> and my last one is Paul Sheldon. You want it? You want it? Eat it. Eat it till you choke, you sick, twisted fuck. Nice. Um... We have some crossover, so I'll start with those ones. So I have the same one. You want it, you want it. Eat it, eat it till you choke, you sick, twisted fuck. Um, same with uh, Buster. You see, it's just that kind of sarcasm that's given our marriage real spice. Uh, and then I have this uh, interaction between uh, him and his wife as well. Uh, Virginia, when you're in this car, you're not my wife, you're my deputy. <laughs> well, this deputy would rather be home under the covers with the sheriff. Uh, and then I have two from Annie. Uh, misery's alive, misery's alive. Oh, this whole house is going to be full of romance. Oh, I'm going to put on my Liberace records. <laughs> and then the last one is I'm your number one fan. Mm, nice. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, what are you choosing as your favorite quote? I uh, eat it till you choke, you sick, twisted fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going into this movie, my pick was to be I'm your number one fan. Yeah. Uh, I really want to pick. You want it? Eat it? Eat it till you choke? You soak this a fuck. But I am gonna go with I'm your number one fan because of its iconic, nice. iconic nature. That's fair. Uh, whoops. I want this here. Okay. Uh, what was the weak link of the film? I think for me, it was that it was just a little too predictable. I do think that is a a function of me having seen it for the first time in 2023, where this is a formula that has been done a lot. Um, but I think for me, it was the fact that it was. Nothing really surprised me, except for the sheriff dying. That was the only thing where I was like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. I thought he was going to save them all. Yeah, that's fair. It's it's just a, a type of story that's been done so many times yeah. in the last three, 33 years. That's completely yeah. understandable. For me, uh, it's it's Annie's return from death. Yeah. Uh, I hate when the villain comes back from death. Just let them die. Yeah. Um, you, Especially you... when you have such a great symbolic yes. death the first time. Just yeah. let it yeah so yeah, that, that's totally my weekly. all right time for some trivia uh stephen king was quite impressed with kathy bates performance in this film so much so that he later wrote two more roles for her the mm -hmm. title role in his novel dolores claiborne was written with bates in mind and oh. bates later starred in the film adaptation of dolores claiborne mm -hmm. king also wrote the script for the tv miniseries the stand his original novel featured oh, a male my... uh, featured a male character named ray flowers Upon hearing that Bates want to, wanted to be involved in the Mary series, King rewrote the part as a woman, Ray Flowers, just so that Bates could play the part. Nice. Uh, James Caan once showed up to the set hungover, and all of the scenes he shot that day were unusable. Rob Reiner told Caan <laughs> that he had to do the scenes again because there was a problem at the lab. When Caan learned it had <laughs> nothing to do with the labs, he offered to cover the money he lost the studio. Aww. Yeah. That's nice of them. Uh, James Caan and Kathy Bates clashed over their acting methods. Caan believed in as little rehearsal as possible. Bates, with mm -hmm. her theater background, was used to practicing a lot. When she commented to Rob Reiner that Caan was not attempting to relate or listen to her, Reiner told her to use that frustration toward her character. Oh, I like that. Uh, in Rob Reiner's previous film, When Harry Met Sally... Harry Burns, mm -hmm. played by Billy Crystal, can be seen reading Misery during one scene. Oh, fun! Um, Annie places a wooden block between Paul's ankles and uses a sledgehammer mm. to hobble him. In the book, Annie cuts his left foot off with an axe and then cauterizes the stump with a propane torch to stop blood loss. Jesus. The, the scene was changed so there would not be so too much gore. Interesting. After seeing the notorious scene where his character get his ankles broken at a screening, James Caan turned to Rob Reiner and said, quote, you're a sick fuck. End quote. <laughs> I love that. Uh, some casting what ifs. Uh, Stephen King was initially reluctant to sell the film rights to Misery because he was skeptical that a Hollywood studio would make a movie faithful to his vision. However, mm. King was impressed with one adaptation of his works, Stand By Me and agreed to sell Misery under the proviso that Rob Reiner would either produce or direct the film himself. Mm. Uh, William Goldman, who wrote the script, said that the studio approached every man in Hollywood to play the part. Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Gene Hackman, and Warren Beatty. He said oh. everyone said no because leading men hate to be passive, hate to be uh, uh, sub uh, submissive to their female co-stars. 
He said the only person who ever said no, the only person who never said no was Warren Beatty. Beatty just kept hanging around forever. And he said, to this day, I still don't think he said no. (laughs) Um, Bette Midler turned down the role of Annie Wilkes because she thought it was too violent. She later called herself stupid for her decision. Uh, according to uh, writer William Goldwyn, Richard Dreyfus almost accepted the role of Paul Sheldon because he regretted turning down the lead role in When Harry Met Sally and wouldn't like to disappoint the director, Rob Reiner, again. They previously collaborated in another Stephen King adaptation in Stand By Me. Reiner asked Dreyfus to read the script, but he didn't like it. I don't know if I could see Richard Dreyfus in the role. No, too whiny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last one is one I love. It would have been a different movie, but I think I would have liked it. I don't know if I'd like it more because I can't see anyone other than James Conn in this role. Um, but Jack Nicholson was offered the role of Paul Sheldon. Pass. Oh, interesting. Pass because he was not sure he wanted to do another movie based on one of Stephen King's novels after what he experienced with Kubrick on The Shining. Especially one where he plays a tortured writer again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Closing credits. Would you watch this movie again? I think I would. Yes. So I've watched it. Yeah, you've watched do- it so many times. Dozens of times. <laughs> I've got to be easily close to 15 to 20. No problem. That's crazy. Um, would you recommend this movie to friends? I think I would, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, MVP of the film? Uh, it's Kathy Bates. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah. Um, recommend a good double feature. So I have two. I think one of them's the obvious one, which is The Shining. Yeah. Um, just because it's another Stephen King adaptation about a tortured writer and it ends very differently but um yeah similar vibes mm-hmm. um and then i decided that my other one would be a double feature both because it's still a stephen king it's also rob reiner but it's a stephen king that's not quite as hard to watch mm-hmm. uh, and that's stand by me yeah nice i have the same one yeah um i have three Oh. Uh, so I have the obvious one, which is Stand By Me, which yeah. is what I'm going to pick as my final answer. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two I have uh, are similar for different reasons. One is Gone Girl. Oh. Uh, and the other one is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, interesting. Um, but I'm going to go with Stand By Me as my, my final answer. Yeah. Uh, so what's the order? Oh, you watch this first, and then you watch Stand By Me. Because while Stand By Me makes me cry every time, it it it's a it's an overarchingly happier-ish movie than than than. So you want to end happy? Yeah. Yeah, I'm flipping them. I'm starting with Stand By Me. Oh, really? So you can end the night being like, what yeah. the fuck? Because <laughs> I'm thinking the way I'm thinking is that double features. You most mostly, if you're thinking in a theater experience, these are watched at night. Yeah. So you're going to watch the lighter film to start, and then as, as the night progresses, you get into the more of the thriller aspect. Oh, sure. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's fair. Um, what will be this film's legacy? Um, I I kind of guessed on this, and you did kind of confirm it a little bit, and that mm-hmm. I think the, that it's um, Kathy Bates' kind of breakout performance. There's two, and that's yeah. what I mentioned. There's two legacies to this film. You nailed that one. It's it, and that's the that's the primary one. Is this is Kathy Bates' breakout role? The other one is the hobbling scene. Right. Yeah. Which, I, the the real answer is Kathy Bates, because you went into this movie 
knowing that this was Kathy Bates' breakout role, and yeah. you didn't know about the hobbling scene. Yes. So that yeah. can't quite be the legacy, but I can tell you for a good 10 years, that's all anybody talked about was, that's the, fair. was the hobbling scene from this. But the real answer is Kathy Bates' breakout performance. Nice. Um, did you learn anything from this movie? Uh, yeah, just as much as maybe one should never aim too high to meet your heroes. Um, you should also be wary about meeting your number one fans. <laughs> what I learned from this movie, this actually introduced me to the idea of toxic fandom. Fair. Yeah. Um, this movie did not introduce me to toxic fandom. I'm very deep in a lot of these fandoms already. But this did also show me that it's been around a lot longer than I thought. Yes. Yeah. I did yeah. not know that people in the that people in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s were getting so upset over and it's so funny because it's got to, it would have been such a different time because it's not like back then where you can just connect immediately with all these people who feel the same way as you like you really are letting a lot of this boil in your own brain yes um whereas now everybody just vomits it on like twitter or yep. whatever and you know creates like people now know which fandoms are actually more toxic than others it's quite terrifying it is uh, Jordan, your final thoughts on Misery. Yeah. So this again, this was a wild ride. Um, really glad that I've finally seen this. Um, I think I've now, I've seen most of Stephen King's adaptations at this point. I'm still missing a couple, but I was really glad to knock this off my list. It's nice to see Kathy Bates in a role that isn't Adam Sandler's mom. <laughs> um, really glad that I now have this movie to really relate to Kathy Bates on. Um, she's phenomenal. James Caan is also pretty phenomenal in this movie. Um, I had, I had a really good time watching it. And while some of that time was spent, um, clenching and cringing and, and yelling at the screen because bad things were happening, um, it's still really enjoyable. And it's, you know, it's one of those experiences that you don't really forget how you felt when you watch the movie. Like you're always going to remember, your, your experience, especially watching it for the first time, you're going to remember exactly how you felt when certain things happen. Mm -hmm. um, the, the minimal supporting cast was fantastic. Um, I definitely think this is a movie uh, that more people should watch. It was a lot of fun. Well-written, well-performed, well-made in general. The score was fantastic. I love when a score gets you all spooked and tense and anxious. When you're already spooked, tense, uh, tense and anxious anyway from the fucking shit that goes on in this movie um and i think i'm always gonna i'm always gonna remember this uh this movie as the time i couldn't stop calling kathy bates a crazy bitch <laughs> watching this movie. awesome um yeah i was really looking forward to my rewatch of this it had been a while since i'd seen it last uh but nothing in this movie like i remember every scene perfectly because like i said it, I've easily seen this movie 15 to 20 times. Um, and while that may seem like a lot, it's 33 years old, so that's only watching it once every other year. It's not that big of a, a deal when you're as old as I am, um, especially in the 90s when I was watching nothing but film constantly. Yeah. This movie is a, a tour de force performance from Kathy Bates. It launched her into Hollywood and into a career that she's still enjoying to this day. Uh, not a flash in the pan. She had three more Oscar nominations after her win here, um, with the last one just coming a couple years ago. Uh, for what? Richard Jewell. Oh, that was like the one movie I didn't see that year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
James Caan is great. Again, I think he's underappreciated uh, in this because of the absolute Nova Blast of Annie Wilkes' character. It's a really well-put-together thriller uh, from Rob Reiner. Uh, the screenplay's fantastic. Uh, the directing's fantastic. Cinematography's great. Uh, it, while it's... I don't think there was any snubs. I don't think this movie was missing any accolades except for the one that it got, and it won when it should have. Maybe James Caan for actor? I don't know. I could maybe... Would he... Would he be... He would be lead actor, right? Oh, oh yeah. This is this yeah. is two two leads. Yeah. Are there any roles you could take out that you've seen? I could probably take out De Niro. Yeah. But I've I've at this point I've only seen De Niro and Costner. Ah. Um, I'm very excited to watch uh, Reversal of Fortune. Um, yeah. Because I was just watching Siskel and Ebert's top ten of 1990. Uh, and they both have it, Reversal of Fortune, on their top ten. So I'm very excited to check this movie out. I own it. It was on sale on iTunes for five bucks, so I bought it like months ago because I knew I'd want to watch it. So I always keep my eye open for movies that I know I'll want to watch for future podcasts because iTunes has movies on sale for five bucks every week. Nice. So instead of renting them, I just buy them. And while I'm, I have, I do have a bunch of movies that I will never watch again <laughs> because they were absolute dog shit. Uh, I still paid the same price I would have to rent them, so it's not a big. Deal. That's, that's totally fair. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I could possibly take out De Niro and put in Khan. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think he got snubbed, but uh, yeah, and I'm sadly not going to be able to watch all five. Yeah. Uh, best actor. I'm, I'm I cannot. I can't watch the field. It's it's only available to buy. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, the only other one I, I plan, I do, I don't know that I'm going to get to it, but I really want to watch Cyrano de Bergerac, only because I loved the play when I read it in high school. It's a movie I would like to watch, but I don't know that I'm going to actually get to it. I, well, 100% will be getting to it. 100%, which I should probably, oh no. I've still got time. A time. <laughs> I still got time. We're looking mid October for the for the for the wrap up. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, early. Early October. So I still got like still got like over a month. Six weeks. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah, I'm good. Um yeah. Alright. Time to give this movie a rating, Jordan. Four out of five. Love it. Same rating for me. Nice. I give so many movies four out of five. Like it's absolutely absurd. Do you really? Yeah, like I think if I was to go to my, like if if you go to my profile on Letterboxd, mm -hmm. you can see, like you can see our our rating distributions. Yeah. My fours are through the roof compared to any other score. Um, I should take a look at mine. The thing is, is that I know because. It's. I think. I think the main reason that yours are so high. Holy shit! Look at that. Forty-six percent <laughs> of your films are four stars. I, know. I have a problem. That's it's astounding. Like, if I really, if I enjoy a movie, it's gonna take something bad happening for it to get to a three, or something amazing happening for it to get to a five. So, so many movies that I watch 
are a four. Even if you were to look at my la- like my past diary of my last like fifty movies I've watched, I bet you like ninety percent of them are fours. Forty six percent. Yes. That's astounding. It's wild. Meanwhile, you actually have a pretty nice curve. You have like almost a proper bell curve outside of like your five drops a bit, but you have like a pretty solid distribution. Yeah. Of yeah. ratings. It's because I, I watch a lot of bad movies. That's fair. Um, all right. Next week, the Jordan and Jason podcast comes to an end. Unfortunately. The it was fun while it lasted. It was fun while it lasted. It was fun while it lasted. Uh, but I will be watching Mermaids with uh, Rachel Corp. Now, as per tradition, when Sam's here and he doesn't know what the movie's about, we get him to guess the plot. The twist this week is, is both Jordan and I have never seen Mermaids, nor do we know what it's about. It's so rare for you to go into a podcast where you haven't seen the movie. Haven't haven't seen the movie and also don't know what it's about. Yeah. I have an inkling on what yeah. it is, so I think my guess will, might be closer than yours. But, <laughs> but let's uh, let's get into it. Jordan, what is Mermaids about? Well, it's going to be really embarrassing if this movie doesn't have mermaids. Um, so I'm going to assume okay. that I think I, I'm going based off of this, like, there's like this movie from like the early 2000s called Aquamarine. Okay. And I'm picturing the movie Mermaids to be like a 90s version of it. Okay. So I bet you there's going to be like these like friends and they get washed up onto a shore and they're unable to go back in and they have, they like try and experience and like try and see if they can like fit into society as human beings who are actually mermaids. Okay. Human beings. So, oh, okay. they're like pretending to exist in society. Okay. Maybe they're like super curious about when they walk up on store and they're like, oh, like where are we here? And then they see all these humans walking and they're like, wow, I want to do that. Okay. Maybe they try and like exist within society. I don't think it lasts very long because I feel like usually you got to go back in the water at some point. But... Okay. So, <laughs> do you know any of the cast members of this film? Nope. <laughs> okay, I do. I know the four main cast members. So I'm ahead of you there. Uh, I can tell you right now, that's not what this movie's about. <laughs> that I do know. Now, this movie stars Cher, Winona, oh, Ri- Winona Ryder, Whoa. Christina Ricci, and uh, Bob Hoskins. Shit. What I think this movie is about is I think Cher is the mother to Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci, and I think it is maybe a recently divorced mother who has a rebellious teenager and a precocious young girl, and it's them trying to cope with a life without with a, with a new single-working mother, and Bob Hoskin comes into their life uh, and helps them find the joy that they've been missing. That's what I'm going to go with. And I think, hold on, I think it's, mm, yeah, this movie I'm, I'm going to go. I'm gonna actually go, about mermaids. <laughs> it's not about mermaids at all. I, I think I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I think it's a period piece. So this was made oh. in 1990. I think this is going to be set in the 70s. Interesting. Ooh, I think that might be wrong, though, but I'm going to stick with it. But no, I, I wonder I, if I should watch this. I definitely think it is about a family dynamic uh, in regards to that. Uh, well, I'm sure you've now looked it up. Don't reveal the answer. We can talk about it off air. Um, I didn't look at the plot synopsis. I okay. just wanted to see if it was streaming anywhere, and it's not. It's not? No. Oh, I see. At least not on a service that I... Oh. It's on MGM on Prime, if you have it. 
Uh, hold on. But I only have stars on Prime. Okay. As my as a channel, and super channel. I thought I had it on something. It is on. Oh yeah, it's on MGM and super channel. So I'm actually gonna have to rent this. Well, that's. Uh... Oh wait, no, I have MGM. That's why I have it. Ah. Ha ha. Ba 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 Oh, I just I just saw it. Let's see. All right. Okay. Well, I can tell by the one screenshot on Letterbox that it's most definitely a period piece. Uh-huh. I think I nailed it. <laughs> All right. Anyways, um, thank you, Jordan, for coming on once again. I'm so I had another blast with this movie. We actually flew through this episode. Yeah, we did. I was feeling I'm like it's not even eleven o'clock yet. I'm impressed. I think what it is with movies like this with like thrillers and action films there's not a lot to dissect yeah as is like last week when we talked about postcards from the edge there's incredible acting moments and incredible dynamics between characters and a lot to dive into that's very Um, true so a movie like this which is has again it still has great performances there's just not there's not much to dissect thematically it's just about that was a fucking awesome scene yeah and then we just go from there so yeah not a problem though i'm sh- i'm sure the people that listen would rather have a shorter episode <laughs> i know it's nice to not be on like a three hour one every now and then <laughs> so true um uh, but yeah thank you yet again uh i'm sure you'll be back on very soon yeah cause... these last uh last three weeks have been an absolute blast i've had a lot of fun filling in while sam's been away yeah it's... um you know anytime you need it I'm usually able to answer the call. I love Sweet. doing this with you guys. I say it every time, but oh. I absolutely love coming on here. And I love having Talking you on. movies with you. We yeah. have so much fun. We do. So yeah, these last few weeks have been a blast. Wicked. Uh, all right. So please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star review and a pause. Oh, no. Yeah, five-star rating and a positive review. It does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us, which we desperately need. You can also uh, give us a rating on Spotify. You can also, on Spotify, answer our weekly question, which I tag to every single episode. Uh, Nobody's been answering them lately, but whatever. Don't care. I don't care. Uh, You can follow (laughs) us on Instagram and threads at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can uh, email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd, which is the greatest app of all time. Uh, it is. Uh, it is Manny42 and? J.A. Spires. Perfection. Uh, I think that's everything for social media, so let's get out of here. For the Samuel. Oh, no. For the Jordan, oh. for the Jordan and Jason movie podcast, I'm Jason Manuel. Eat till you choke, you sick, twisted fuck. I'm Jordan Spires. Adios!